Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Can people really say goodbye to friends and family when they translate? What is the third man phenomena? Do paranormal experiences depend on what people bring to them? Hello and welcome to the 1013th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, coming to you from WON, AM and FM Radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live uh, and on YouTube. I'm Ben, and today we bring you an open line show, and my dad Paul is joining us via Skype today, uh, but his voice is weak, so he'll chime in when he can, but also joining us... Oh yes, yes, he will be, he will be listening, and he will provide what he can. And also joining us today via Skype is our Northern California show reporter and cousin, Rick Eno. Hi, cousin. Hello. Uh, hold on, boys. We're gonna do a little thing. Alright. Little thing. There we are. Now, ha! You, you thought you could trick me this time, gremlins, but you couldn't. So now... <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So we have you guys on the air, and uh, we have with us our our one. You know, it's it's kind of like a fun joke. It's like how many enos does it take to do a radio show? And I guess the answer is three in this case. <laughs> the number will be growing as Aria wakes up. <laughs> yeah, right. It's a <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll toss her a question. See see how she does. Alrighty. So I guess we'll 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 hop right into the questions here. Um, and we're going to start with a couple from Facebook, unless you'd prefer we start with the question from Alex, Deb. Oh, uh, well, why don't we start with Alex? Okay. So we will start with Alex. So Alex M. writes to us, Hi, Paul and Ben. Uh, I had a question. My mother had an experience in the early 90s uh, where a friend tragically took her own life. Um, before even getting the news, my mom said she was in uh, the bathroom getting ready when she felt the the hairs on the back of her neck uh, stand up and a presence behind her. Uh, she walked out uh, to the living room where, on the wall, was a uh, framed mirror my mother and, friend and her friend uh, had made together. As my mother entered the room, this mirror was lifted off the hook and gently placed on the floor. Three people witnessed this and were in shock, and my mother was uh, to receive the news of her friend minutes later. To this day, she is convinced that this was her friend saying goodbye. My question is this. I know you and Ben believe that these are not spirits of people who passed uh, and are parasites. Well, not, not always. Uh, but in this case, why do you think uh, the parasite waited all this time to make its presence known? Uh, there was no paranormal activity in this house before this incident. Thank you, and keep up the good work uh, with the show. Well, uh, I have to jump in here. Um, we do. I don't know what this constant misunderstanding is. We do not believe that all ghosts are parasites. We believe that there is a, an important parasite factor in there and that many will pretend to be loved ones so they can push your buttons and uh, get something to eat. Um, what you describe, Alex, is a, <clears throat> a uh, classic uh, visitation apparition. Uh, and it's very possible that that's exactly what it was. I think people get confused when we say we don't believe in the classical notion of the spirit, with uh, spirits, ghosts, which are not possible under the laws of physics. Uh, but that does not mean we don't believe in parallel worlds where the laws of physics are different and people can 
manifest to their loved one and be very aware of it. I think that's a common phenomenon and it's not parasites. Fellas? Um, after you, Rick. <laughs> well, I, I can't really address what happened with the picture piece, but I, I can say um, that the part about the hair standing on the back of the neck and the instant of the, the suicide, I know I listened to many times uh, Tracy Dolan, who is the wife of Richard Dolan, and she's a remote viewer, and she's also psychically sort of connected and has had um, lots of communication in, in her life sent via conscious highways and so forth to friends. And she speaks about a time where um, she was uh, sending out a message to one of her friends, thinking about her and sending it out at the same time, thinking nothing of it. But when she did catch up with her friend later, um, uh, weeks later, she talked about receiving and thinking about her in this certain way or having a certain image, which is the one Tracy, I guess, put out there. Uh, so what I can say about that is that we are all connected somehow consciously. And maybe some of us are aware of it, others aren't. But maybe in that moment of death or that moment of just tragedy, um, that those signals become more cemented and that they do reach out in a much rapid form, in a very rapid form, and uh, someone that you love who's supposed to receive them does receive them, who's receptive to it, and has a reaction to it. So I do believe that because there's plenty of instances where people have lost people or just something uh, epic has happened. Maybe it's something very, very, very uh, happy. Um, and others have kind of known something before it was uh, actually, the news was actually delivered. So on that piece, I think with the friend... Um, you can definitely say, uh, at least I would, that there is a conscious connection, and it goes far beyond what what people would typically expect in our in our world. As far as the, um, I'm going to leave it with what Paul said for the rest of it because the parallel worlds and so forth, um, the laws of physics are different. Um, uh, I'm going to leave that to Paul's explanation. Mm, yeah, fair enough. I guess it, I guess that makes it my turn. Uh, what does this Eno have to say about all of this? Um, well, I, I think it's it's important that you know everybody experiences these things differently, and it's I, I think it's it's very it's safe to always attribute um, any phenomenon to one thing or another. And unfortunately, not everything is is that black and white. So not everything is a parasite, and not everything is benevolent. You know, but there's always there's always a middle ground, and there should be a middle ground for most things. And I, I think it's important that you know, with relationships to people, you know, it's not really a one-sided thing. I think there's this personal, personally, you know, experiencing the world. Um, there's always this tendency to kind of, mm, at least in the modern world, there's a tendency to make relationships one-sided, and mm -hmm. it's not always the case, right? It's always a give and take. It's always like you know, two-way street, right? Um, at least it should be right in a healthy, healthy relationship, and and we we exist in a in a web of relationships. You know, everybody is connected to everybody in some way, shape, or form, right? It's like um, it's like Rhode Island is a great example, right? There's always like at least one or two degrees of separation between everybody in the state, and it's it's always kind of funny when you run into anybody from Rhode Island because it's like, oh, who do you know? What town are you from? You know, oh, do you know so and so, etc. And it's it's like yeah, you know, it's one one big small town in in that regard. And in a sense, you know, 
the multiverse, the world, it, it, that's kind of how, how it, it stays. You know, there's, there's these webs of relationships that continue on even after somebody leaves the state or the town or, or your neighborhood, right? The relationship continues. And I think it's, in, in some cases, it's a bit more dramatic <laughs> than others. But I can honestly say with, you know, like, you know, loved love ones that, that I, I have had that have passed, it's like, you know, I, I know that that relationship is still going, and it's still it's still very much there. It's you know it's not just because somebody you know leaves. It's like okay, cool, they're gone. You know, object permanence isn't a thing. It's like yeah, they're just out out of here, out of sight, out of mind. It's like you know they they continue they continue oh. elsewhere. And I think that's very that's that's something to kind of point out as a personal you know as a personal belief of mine. But in this instance, it's I, I wish I had an explanation. I just don't. You know. Because it's you know relationships aren't really logical things, <laughs> and you can't really put like a scientific point on it. Because it is possible that it's that it is just you know straight up multiverse activity where this person is you know they're they're interacting with this with with this world where they're not etc cetera, etc. Cetera. But at the end of the day, it's still a personal experience with somebody, and I can't kind of negate it or explain it in a way. But you'll know it by how it affects somebody. You know, if, if it's a, if it's positive, which in this in this instance it, it was, you know, then I, I I'll, I'll take it for what it is. You know, it that's that's kind of my my two cents on the whole issue. Well, good, uh, and you may be able to identify this in Paul, but uh, in in the living world, um, you know, if, if you have a close relationship, uh, for instance, uh, and this isn't meant to be funny, though it it, it might come off that way. Um, my wife kind of knows um, when I'm up to something, right? She doesn't know what it is. She might not be seeing me, but she kind of knows. And and what, I, what I'm saying is I'm not up to anything dastardly, but, you know, I'm, I'm planning something. I have a project that I, I'm working on that I didn't tell her about or, or something to do with living together. And that's not because uh, she can see me or she just kind of senses it. And um, I think in relationships, when you're close, and, and closeness can mean many different things, but when you're close, those connections are there. It doesn't matter, like you said, object permanence, if you're physically there or not. That highway is continuing, and that highway connects you. And if something's going on, you know, you, you can kind of sense it. And I, I, the same thing myself i could be out there and i can sense i should call home what's going on you know maybe she and she'll frequently have a question or need help but and it's not that i'm psychic at all because i don't i've never had those experiences it's just a knowing and that i think the connections with all people who are close in these intimate relationships um have no i agree and and it's it's kind of the same the same with with my my wife and i too it's uh i i think it's just you you sort of share a part of yourself with everybody, in a way, and vice versa, right? You know, two two way street, and in that instance, especially if you if you if you allow it, it you can have very close relationships with certain people or, or you know pets, objects, whatever, right? It's like you know my my I've been, I've been feeling kind of not super great lately, so you know I'm laying in bed, my cat will come over and lay on me, and he usually you know he only he only does that if he does something either like you know. Little, little bit on the on the uh, deceitful side, or if he actually cares. And um, he didn't do anything. He didn't do anything wrong. Didn't break anything. But you know, it's it's it's. But it's like my my wife my wife will know when something's up, 
and it's <clears> like it, it's it's you know sim- similar in that in that sense too. And I think it's it's just it's a really human experience to share intimate connections with people, especially across world boundaries, right? And it's like. Especially if you have something super, super, you know, some super close relationship with somebody, like seeing them in dreams, or you know, even seeing apparitions of them, if you, if you would, I don't know. I wish I could explain it better, but I, I think it's just ultimately a human experience. One point uh, in Alex's letter is that the uh, person uh, was a suicide. Uh, in my experience, visitation apparitions. Uh, after suicides are unusual. I'll leave it at that. Okay. Yeah, the more more to 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 learn, I guess. More more to discuss, I suppose. Right. Well, I guess shall we move on to the next? Which which unfortunately, Rick, this is going to go right up your your alley as you as you were discussing before the show. So uh, this was a comment left on uh, our our last YouTube, uh, our last show, which got uploaded to YouTube. So this is our September 3rd show. Um, I'm sorry. This was about a month ago. Um, regarding our, our uh, September 3rd show on the congressional UAP hearings, um, sorry about the technical issues um, that Lowenthal writes. Even though he did give us his real name, I don't have it up in front of me. I do apologize. Um, it was It was challenging to make out the audio, which, again, apologies for the gremlins. Uh, but I do agree with the assessment these hearings uh, will likely lead nowhere. So how, how do we feel about that, gentlemen? <laughs> Here's your big chance, Rick. Move on. Oh, great. Get <laughs> you know, um, and I think you both will commiserate with me on this. How long have we been waiting for uh, progress in disclosure Um it's been 70 years, um, and every time we seem to make progress, it seems like progress at first, and, and I think it is to a degree, but it never really breaks the seal or the bubble. And I feel like, and I respect that everyone's looking into this, and I, and I, I think the people that are trying to make this happen um, are, are real dedicated. They, they want the answers out there. I do not believe personally that will ever be allowed to happen, not not through the government and not through what they have, and because it's actually beyond the government, in my opinion. It's some third sort of breakaway civilization that's been referred to that's really ultimately come out of this since 1947 that has formed and, and handles this topic. So I, I really don't believe you'll ever get the full story. You'll get bits and pieces, and it'll be given to you in bits and pieces. But you'll never be able to make the solid, firmness uh, connection. That will have to come from outside of there. So I do believe that researchers like you cousins and um, the other people out there who are doing this in good faith and fighting the good fight, um, that's where the answers are going to come from. But the acknowledgement of the government, it's great to have see on the, uh, the hearings on the Hill. Um, I haven't kept up with all of them. But I will say um, I don't see this becoming to a disclosure moment as people are thinking about it where it's just all admitted and here are all the secrets. That will never happen. There's too much at stake. But what will happen is they will become a comfort level with that, okay, there is something going on out there. Hey, you know what? There are aliens. How's that? And uh, 
and, and get to each phase like that, but I don't think there will be an actual full disclosure. I just, I can't see it. There's, there's been too much energy put into it over the years for a reason. People have died over this. Paul, you got followed through the desert just for being who you are and you were too close to Area 51. It, it, there is way too much at stake here that we, and we honestly don't even understand what's under the layers. So if answers come, it'll come from people like us on the outside, but it's not going to come from the U.S. government. It's just not going to happen. Well, you're, you're, initially you were much more optimistic than I ever was because I never believed that there would be actual disclosure, Rick. Um, I, I think that the, the only reason that any of this is happening is just, it's, it's money, right? That's, that's really, that's, yep. that's really it is, in my opinion, is a, it's just, I think it's just in regards to money, right? You know, if there's some sort of, you know, I feel like the buzzword for the last year and a half has been existential threat. You know, what's, yeah. what's more existentially threatening to what's more threatening to our existence than you know an un inhuman force outside of our our atmosphere, right? Crank up the war machine, right? Yeah, I mean, hey, it's what, what we're good at, um, and I, I think it's really I think that's kind of really what it comes down to, and um, <clears throat> excuse me, it's it's just very. I just don't. I just don't think it's it's really going to be a thing, and it. And I, I think that it's it's a little bit naive. Like uh, we had Stephen Bassett on, you know, a couple months ago now. Yeah. And um, he was going. He was talking about how. Oh well, you know, it'll it'll cure it'll it'll cure the the parti- the partisan divide. Our country's so divided. Yeah. This will be the thing that brings us together. And I was like, that's a nice thought, but like I, I just don't. I just don't see how it would do that. It, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me because it's like you know most people under the age of like fifty are are pretty okay with the idea of extraterrestrials, and it's you know I mean everybody in my generation yeah we're totally okay with it. The problem is you know we have to pay bills still, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it's like yeah cool that's that's all that's all good, but you know how how am I gonna you know make rent for the month? That's kind of like exactly. you know at the end of the day it's like well what's what's the whole, what's the point of admitting anything other than you know you you wonder what the government has to get out of it and you know that's that was my question to Stephen bassett and he said well you know bring everybody together and i was like "Uh, you you know what maybe maybe. you know ben it's kind of like this uh, the way i see it is if there's a reason to bring like we'll use the example of bringing people together If, if there's a reason to bring people together that fits the narrative for them oh they're gonna do it so if we have to unify the world, the races, the cultures, uh, everything, um, to fight a war against uh, or, or a battle against or face even uh, a different alien culture or, you know, something that we're not used to, oh, sure, that'll do that. But it'll do it completely for the wrong reason, in my opinion. You don't, you don't want to come together because you went through... Uh, some threatening situation, and that that's the reason you made that you, you were forced to do that. Um, so I don't, I'm just, I don't mean to be such a skeptic about things, but when it comes to this, I've just constantly seen it over and over again. The only time things are released is when it fits the narrative, and that's it, that they need, for whatever reason, and it may be, they may be thinking, we're protecting people. Because they could not handle what's coming, like maybe the technology's too much, maybe the idea of it's too much. I don't know what their actual motive is, but I do know it's kept a secret, and I do know that 
it's a secret that they're willing to spend billions on, and I do know that people have died over it. So I have a hard time, hard time accepting anything other than nope, not going to happen. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. And weirdly enough, this does kind of lead into our our next question, which is from um, Kieran in New Jersey, and he writes uh, your comments about how we define. The term uh, advanced really make me think. As you say, advancement uh, should be spiritual and moral, uh, not defined by technology, which would be very dangerous in the hands of spiritually and morally unadvanced. And uh, the spiritual and moral, uh, would they even feel the need for uh, the kind of technology exhibited by UAPs? And that's a very good question. (laughs) So what do you think, Rick? Hmm. Well, I do agree about the best advancement is new spiritual uh, growth, conscious growth, um, absolutely, because that's going to be peaceful and it's going to be light and love, which I'm a firm believer in. I also believe that technology is, as fun as it is, it's there to mimic what we can do, literally what our, our capabilities are, to communicate across great distances or different dimensions. Uh, we, we only use 10% of our brain. So uh, I really believe that anything that's developed is already there in the, in, in, at our fingertips, able to do it. We just have to learn how to do it. We have to accept our conscious beings that we let go of so long ago. So in a way, the technology that out that is out there, um, though it mimics what we can do, it, it, it's also there to sort of be a more physical world. And uh, the more physical world you have, the less spirituality you're going to have. Um, and with the less spirituality you have, I believe the more corrupt and more uh, immoral you become. It becomes, it becomes about hedonism and pleasure. So... Um, if I'm answering the, the question correctly, I, I think that the path, the best path is through spirituality and growth. And uh, But the more we get technology, the more it's in the wrong hands already. Mm-hmm. Because we, clearly you can see where we have picked up technology. And um, I don't even know if the proper word is bastardize it, because that's what it's there for. Um, but we do. We use it in ways that... I see technology used in some great ways, but I see a lot of people get hurt and obsessed with it and kind of live it, and they can't escape it. So what does that say? You know, what does that say for your soul? What does that say for you if you just want to be in this physical, impulse-driven world as opposed to a more spiritual, moral world where you're actually connecting through what your capabilities are without any technology? That is... I think... What do you think, Dad? uh, Oh... well, I think uh, Hollywood occasionally gets it right. I don't know if that's a mistake or what. But in the, the right stuff, the original 1983 film, there was a scene that struck me, and that's uh, during uh, John Gled's flight. Uh, Gordon Cooper was in Australia, uh, and he was uh, entering a radar station to, to talk to Gled as he passed overhead. And he runs into a couple of Aboriginal people, uh, people I rubbed elbows with in the seventies. Not the not the same actors, obviously. But uh, he said, uh, "I'm going to be helping out my friend. Uh, he's passing overhead up in outer space." And uh, the Aboriginal guy says, "Oh, you blokes do that too?" 
Cooper said, oh, you mean to do, do you do that yourself? Oh, not me, man. Uh, see the old bloke there? Uh, the uh, elder? He knows the stars. He knows the planets. He knows the Milky Way. So, without any technology, uh, shamanic peoples will tell you that you can do anything. You can go anywhere, and it's real. Maybe yeah. that sums up the point. <clears throat> Great point, Paul. I love that. You know, there's a very. I, I was watching this um, this really interesting little little documentary about Edward uh, Bernays, and. For those of you who don't know who he is, he's basically the father of modern marketing and propaganda in the United States. Um, he was best known for his work uh, working for cigarette companies and General Electric in like the the 30s, 40s, 50s, and um, he pioneered modern like marketing techniques using psychology. I think he was like uh, the grandson of Freud or something. Um, I got to double check exactly how he's related to Freud but I, I know some some oh yeah Anna, yeah Anna Freud was his mother and I think she oh sorry Sigmund Freud was his uncle there we go so he was related to Freud right so you know psychology is his thing whatever and he created this campaign where um you know it was it was sort of like the late you know, 30s, you know, early 30s, like prior to World War II, everybody's kind of very conservative with their money. And then, you know, World War II happens. Everybody goes goes out and they're doing, you know, the women are going to work, the men are going to fight. <coughs> and they come back and they're, they go back to living very frugal lives. And so, you know, the, you know, the industry was booming. And so they had a problem. The problem was there were too many products and not enough people consuming them. And so he had an answer for the problem. And he was like, all right, you guys are marketing this all wrong. Don't market to a need, market to a want. And so he created all these campaigns to pretty much <laughs> trick people into buying things they didn't need. <coughs> and so it became sort of – he created modern consumer culture. And through that, it ended up creating this culture of just consume, 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 consume. And oh, well, well, looks like we're at our break. I'll continue my thought after the break. And uh, maybe I'll have it. It'll be better structured this time. So you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on WON AM and FM here in Winsock. It's beautiful, Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back. Casey Kasem has unlocked the American Top 40 vaults and is replaying original shows from the 80s. This week, Casey takes you back to September 13, 1986. That's when Huey Lewis was happy to be stuck with you. Belinda Carlisle was mad about you. Lionel Richie was dancing on the ceiling. And Cindy Lauper showed her true colors. You'll hear those songs, all the top 40 hits, and the long-distance dedications from September 13, 1986, right here on American Top 40, the 80s. Local and live at 99.5 FM. Welcome back. To Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno coming to you from WON AM and uh, FM radio here in uh, Blackstone River Valley's beautiful Winsocket, Rhode Island on this rather rainy day here. it's uh, We have 50, 75 degrees outside the studio and boy oh boy, personally I enjoy a nice rainy day. I don't know about you gentlemen, but it's it's kind of nice, it's cooling, it's calming and we can get right back into the, spiritual, the spirituality, necessities and technology. And I'm going to hop right back into this um, by linking this with a really interesting idea that I got from H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. 
I've, I've been reading uh, At the Mountains of Madness for the last couple of weeks now, and I think it's really fascinating how in tune he was with things, in a sense, and this idea of technology from alien entities that are just you know completely beyond our comprehension. And I think everybody loses that in translation because we always think about technology we know and we understand, and it's like, oh, it's <coughs> by gravity and whatever. But what about things we don't understand? And so there's need to constantly consume, and with given technology we don't understand, you know, our, our main objective is to control the world around us, which has always been a thing, right? You know, if we constantly consume and we, we need things to, to constantly occupy us, so that we, you know, we can control the world around us, which really is, is what it comes down to, right? It, it comes down to us expressing a want to create a world that's ours, rather than you know existing in a world that you know we're a part of, individual worlds rather than being a part of a world, you know, not in a multiversal sense, but in in a, in a sort of um, uh, maybe cosmological sense, where <clears throat> we exist as part of a whole rather than individuals. That are living their own sort of little bubble lives, and so here we are, right? You know, we have these, we have alien entities that give us things. You know, when we look at different mythologies, right? Prometheus springs to mind immediately. You know, he gives man fire, and the gods are all upset, and they're like, "What are you doing?" They don't know what to do with this, and then they punish him for eternity. And so, <laughs> but you look at other mythologies too, right? You know, you have like the Anunnaki of um, the Mesopotamians, right? They come out of the sea. They're these fish people, Lovecraft, and you know, they, they go to, you know, the, the Hittites, and they're like, all right, you know, you're going to create the Code of Hammurabi, and we're going to give you all these these gifts, and you're going to, you know, do some crazy stuff when they go to Hammurabi. And then, you know, it's 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 just all these, these things throughout, throughout history where you have these, like, alien beings, right? You know, whether they come out of ships, or they come out of the ocean, or they just kind of appear, right? They, they're a part of these things, and they give people technology, and they say, here you go. Here's how you do metallurgy. Here's how you do music. Here's how you do, you know, makeup or whatever. And they're not necessarily bad, right? You know, technology is ambiguous at the end of the day. It's what you do with it. And I think that that's kind of the big thing, is, is if you take this thing and try to control the world around you, which, you know, a lot of us do, because in a, in a, in a sense, we're all already cyborgs, because we're already merged with technology. I mean, I'm wearing headphones right now so I can hear you, gentlemen. I'm wearing glasses so that I can see you, gentlemen, and also the things in front of me. You know, I have I have a, a link to every piece of knowledge, whether true or false, in the world, <laughs> sitting in sitting in the palm of my hand. And in a sense, you know, we're given all these things, and you know, are what what are we doing with them? You know, and there's a really interesting. Uh, statistic I saw, and this is the end of my rambling here, where there's a, an incredible lack of creativity nowadays. And creativity leads to innovation. And because everybody's constantly entertained, nobody's bored anymore. So there's no need to innovate. There's no need to use your imagination. And so there's an incredible lack of innovation because nobody's bored anymore. Is you, You're just constantly entertained. And I think that's really fascinating because, you know, Boredom leads to imagination, leads to ingenuity, leads to new ideas, leads to new technologies. And so, you know, where are we going from here? We don't know. You know, this is all uncharted territory we're in right now. And I think it's very important for us to be understanding of ourselves versus trying to control everything around us. You know, internalize rather than externalize, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
does. I, I like what you said about <clears throat> being given technology through time, through outside forces. Because if you think about like how our, our world operates with countries, I mean, just if you want to expand on that, you know, the United States has a position, France has a position, Russia has a position, and they all aid and give things to other countries with indifference to the other countries at times. And I think about that a lot as how we get technology. I think there's like, I don't think there's a single place that we get technology, I think, or a group of beings. I think it comes in um, from different groups who don't necessarily sign off on what we're getting. Um, you know, and, uh, and and that's why there's sort of a, uh, um, um, I don't know, an explosion in the most recent 90s forward uh, in technology because some serious technology was passed. Um, but I believe that's how it happens. Different groups influence us differently from the peripheral uh, by giving us uh, this technology or technologies that we might even not seem like a technology to us, like you mentioned fire. You know, that started there. Mm. You know, there was the wheel. <laughs> and just keep going forward, you know. So that that's sort of my take on it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. And I guess we'll, we'll hop into the next question here, which is from uh, Terry in Uxbridge, Massachusetts, right here in our local listening area. I'm Terry Wrights. Uh, have you said that, pe- or you have said uh, that people uh, bring critical elements of their own paranormal experiences, and that helps determine what they take away from the experience? What do people who are parasite victims bring to the table, especially in possession cases? Which is a very good question, actually. Would you like to touch on this, Dad? Yeah, I better. Uh, uh, having been involved in some of those cases early in my uh, career, I have to say that uh, possessed people are not necessarily what they appear to be in the movies. Uh, in my experience, they uh, there was a certain identity point, as we say, between the parasite, I think it's a parasite, uh, and uh, the uh, host, if you will. It gets to the point where they uh, almost become one, and there's an identity that allows a certain amount of control from the parasite. I do not believe that the entire personality of the victim is uh, subverted. And what they bring to it is a certain tacit agreement. I've always found the victims to be lowly, uh, dissatisfied, very often angry, you know, ringing the dinner bell for parasites. And uh, I think that the parasite will answer that call and um, I think that there's a certain degree of cooperation sounds funny but I think that's what I've seen in possession cases Paul do you do you feel in the cases that you've you've seen demonic possession or just possession in general do you feel that the, the victim in it is sort of uh, com- complicit be- because there's a certain amount of comfort that that parasite provides them that's missing in their lives. It may be fake, it may be real, but do you feel that that's sort of like the enticement, like there's a certain amount of uh, comfort, I guess is the word, in, in having having that experience? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I've really uh, seen where people have 
essentially felt that they were, uh, you know, failures in this or drug addicts or whatever. But yet there's this uh, cosmic being paying attention to them. And that means a lot to some of these people. It's sick, but it's true. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I think that there's... I think that there's a really important point um, to be to be made that it, it depends on. I think your your cultural background really depends a lot on on how it's experienced, and it, I'll, I'll give an example. So, you know, recently um, I had a conversation with somebody, and we were talking about you know a mutual a mutual friend of ours, and you know they were acting kind of weird and and whatever, and it was. Um, and it, it was like I I, I remember you know, we were we were kind of going you know like oh wow they're acting really weird really you know really kind of angry upset really irrational and um, you know someone was like oh what if it's like you know what if it's something like spiritual blah 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 and I was like I mean it could be but you know I I, I kind of thought back and I was like oh they've kind of been you know drinking a lot lately they might just you know it might just be some neurochemical thing too and now that's not to say that it's it's mutually exclusive. But I, I think that there's there's a really important thing where it's it's very easy to distill all of these experiences down to oh yeah it's just this it's just that because the problem is that there's multiple layers to everything we experience and I think just just from having experienced you know para, parasite cases in which there's been obsession not quite possession but you know being present for that I think that there's a really important element in how we understand our experience of it. Because there's so many different definitions of, of, of possession that we have. And I think the the easiest one for everybody to recognize is the Hollywood definition where, oh, well, it's this you know male- malevolent spirit that takes over and you have no control over it. And I, I've seen that expressed in a lot of um, sort of, you know, unhealthy spiritualities where, like, you know, oh, the devil's out to get you, they're going to, they're going to get you, and all this stuff. And it's like, as as somebody who grew up um, not in that world, it's very odd to me to to look at that and say, well, I don't, it's like, yeah, I mean, I know that that that's, you know, it's it's a thing, but it's like, you know, it's not like, you kind of have to agree to it, you know? And it's interesting, right? Because you look at people who have had substance abuse problems, or like you know they 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 have a problem where they eat too much and they have an eating disorder or you know lack thereof and they they physically change there's like a physical change you can see in them and when they start to get healthy they sober up you know they they kind of manage their issues and they they deal with these quote unquote demons of themselves right you know whether it's you know some issues they've had in the past some really negative stuff you know, they, they, they physically change. You see them become healthier, they become, you know, diff, you know more themselves. And I, I think that, that, that there's so many, there's, there's such an easy way to blame other things. And I, not to say that there isn't that, uh, that layer of, of parasites or whatever that, that are in, involved in that, that can feed off of the behavior. But there's, it's, it's so complex because it's, it's like, you know, the, the range of human experience is just so vast and dynamic that it's it's very hard to say well you know they just agreed to it because it's you know great but you know people have their own their own issues and if they don't get the help that they need it can turn into other things it's like going to a doctor right let's say you get a cut and you go to the doctor and the doctor says yeah there's nothing wrong with you but i'm not going to treat it 
or you know, if you get a cut and you don't go to the doctor, you don't you don't get it treated, you don't do anything about it, and then eventually it just kind of festers and gets worse and worse and worse, and you just get so used to it that you're like, yeah, whatever, it's just kind of a thing. But you know, anything can be can be healed. You just need to you know go and deal with it. And and I think that there's there's always this out of thinking, well, you know, I'm not really worth it. You know, this this thing's beating me down. And I just kind of have to accept it. And that's kind of, I think, where parasites start to come in and kind of manipulate things a little bit. And it's it's uh, it's just very it's very complex. And so personally, a- after seeing the side of ah, oh, it's all demons, they're all coming to get you, and then seeing the other side of it, ah, it's just brain chemistry. It's like no, there's definitely a middle ground there where the two the two overlap. In some way, shape, or form. But the problem is that you know you have to focus on the person that's that's experiencing these things, and and how one can help them and be a resource for them, rather than well, you know, it's just demons. Let's do an exorcism and be out of here. Or well, it's just brain chemistry. Give them a bunch of pills and they'll be fine. It's 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 a really complex issue. Yes, indeed. Any thoughts, Rick? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to defer to what, again, Paul said. When it <clears throat> when it comes to, I mean, what you both said just kind of encapsulates everything. It's, um, that part of the, the sort of the paranormal, um, which, you know, is, seems really um, complicated and complex because it is, there's physics involved and so forth, Um I really kind of stand back on a bit because um, there are, are so many um, facets to it that you really have to study it for decades, which you both have, to really wrap your mind around it. It's not that I don't understand it, but I have nothing more to offer than what, what you both offer, what you both said, but you provoked a lot of thought in me uh, regarding it. So uh, I think that was a great question. It sparked a lot of conversation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not... <clears throat> excuse me. I mean, it's not to say that it's like my dad's incorrect. I don't think that's true. I think I think that that's that there's a, a very important that's a very important part of it. But there's there's a, a portion of humanism. Well, I don't know if humanism is the right word. Kind of kind of looking at it that it that it's like you know not how we how we experience the world through our traditions and how we understand things, right? It's a subject-object problem. You know, there's an objective reality and there's a subject that's experiencing that objective reality and that subjective experience is informed by prior experience. And so it's it's kind of like, okay, yeah, so this is, you know, I'm looking I'm looking at an eight, I see an eight, you know, and you look at it from the side, you say it's an infinity sign, right? And it's like, okay, well, we're looking at it from two different angles so we see different things but there's something yeah. there that we know is there. And yeah, you know how we. You know, it, I was going to say, Ben. You know, <clears throat> some of it is uh, the way the world's set up. Like I'm, I'm very happy with this permutation of me <clears throat> in this in this world, right? I like my physical world. I like. I'm very curious about everything, but I'm very happy with this permutation of me. But there is probably, uh, most likely, from what I have come to believe and understand through Paul's work and your work is that there's probably other permutations of me out there. Um, and we're each probably equally, or not equally, I should say, happy with that permutation. Um, but every permutation is going to see the world through a different angle. Like the what you just said about 
eight and then the infinity sign, right? And uh, that's a, a fascinating thought to think that I could be somewhere else with a different perception of the world given this current permutation of me. I always found what was fascinating most with, with Paul's work was when he would um, meditate and he'd encounter other people going through these dimensional changes. I remember that one gentleman who I believe was in a, a may possibly an air, airplane crash and was in the, in the basement of a church. I can't think of a better example of of permutations of a person changing into and evolving into, uh, I don't know, the next version of themselves or in another version of themselves. So I'll shut up from here because I'll just keep rambling. Well, <laughs> hey, you know, it's a, I think it's in the genes here at this point. <laughs> so I guess we can we can kind of hop into our, our next question here. Um, doo, 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 doo. Uh, so... Sam Robotham writes to us, uh, I believe this is a YouTube comment, uh, John Geiger relates a number of cases in his book about people in life-threatening situations in the seas uh, being led to safety by voices, lights, and phantasms. Any comments? And this is uh, John Geiger, the best-selling author of The Third Man Factor, uh, Surviving the Impossible. So this yes, is... John is someone I uh, want to get on the show uh, very soon if we can. Um, the subject interests me because it's happened to me. Uh, I describe in uh, one of my books uh, how I was in the, uh, survival training in the Yukon, 1979, and was caught in an avalanche. And a third something pulled me out from eight feet of snow. Uh, and so I... Uh, you want to call it an angel or whatever, you know, it's happened to me. And uh, Ben, I don't know if your uh, experience in the uh, hydroplaning in the car we used to call the bumblebee would count for that. But oh, yeah, that everybody has trap. their story. <laughs> Oh yeah. Well, you know, the bumblebee was a death trap. That I'm surprised that thing lasted as long as it did. It was not meant for New England weather or or roads. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know. I still think a lot about that. I don't know if I can definitively say it was a third man experience. It it, it might have been, you know. I it, but it, it was it was definitely odd. I do remember. Um, I, I would go and, and visit my now wife, um, then girlfriend. Uh, up in in Worcester, she she went to uh, Assumption College, and I, I would go up and, and visit every so often. Uh, by every so often, I mean every week. And I was driving up in, in weather similar to what we have outside right now, and it was you know, pouring rain. And I was driving a nineteen, I think it was a nineteen ninety two Geo Metro, which if anybody knows anything about cars, um, it was considered <laughs> by a Consumer Magazine to be one of the worst cars ever made. And uh, it and it was it was it was a funny car. It was it was a silly little goofy banana yellow car that was a convertible that was not meant for New England weather. So it was just it was just very very dangerous to drive. Your so, automobile choices are are interesting. Well, to be fair, I didn't choose it. It was <laughs> it was uh, my father bought it because he thought it looked cool, and it did uh, initially. But then. Um, my brother needed a car, and then I would borrow it from time to time. So it was it was a whole thing. So I drove it up there, 
and I was uh, driving down 146. And anybody who's a local who's familiar with 146 knows it's a very dangerous road to drive in most weather, um, even in normal weather. So I, I was driving down, and there was a spot where um, right before you get off uh, in, I think it's Lackey Dam Road, you're... It used to be pretty bad. They recently redid it, but there used to be pooling, like really, there would just be no drainage at this one portion of the bottom of a hill, so you could very easily hydroplane. And I was driving, and I was late, and so I was like, you know, I was trying to speed up, and that thing was like, you know, you could probably do 65, maybe, <laughs> maybe if you were lucky. And so I was, you know, I was speeding down, and I, uh, I remember before I left, my dad was like, oh, well, be careful, and, you know, it should, you know, he was really worried about me. And so I was driving, 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 and I get to this little patch, and I kind of had this weird sort of experience where I thought I was kind of like, you know, zoning out, like daydreaming a little bit. And I, I kind of was like, I, and at some point I realized, I was like, oh, I'm on the other side of the road now, because I remember like starting to skid. And then I was on the other side of the road, and I think I switched lanes, and I was like, oh, okay, I'm fine. That's weird. And I kind of had this sense that uh, maybe something happened, but I don't know. And when I got to um, uh, see, got to my then girlfriend, wife's, you know, dorm, um, I, I I pulled in and I, I walked in, and she was like, she was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm I'm fine. Why? And she was like, I don't know. I just had this really weird feeling that like you that like something happened. And I was like, no, I'm I'm, I'm okay. I'm not. I'm not sure why you're saying that. And and it was kind of one of those things I kind of pushed away for a bit. Um, but it, it was a really odd experience because I, I remember it pretty vividly, even even now. It's. It, but maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. I'm not going to put a label on it. So I guess that's kind of. What do you, What do you think about third man experiences, Rick? You know, I, I've never had a third man experience that I can recall. Um, but I've heard a lot about them. I do think we have um, what some people would call <clears throat> guardian angels out there for whatever reason uh, that that kind of look after you in times. Um, maybe they know who, they, they, well, obviously they know something we don't. So I, I do believe in them. Um, I, I can't explain them, but I, I think like anytime you've had a near-death experience, I think there's more at play there than probability that you survived. Well, there is evidence of a uh, uh, higher self, for lack of a better term. Uh, experiments have been done where the two hemispheres of the brain have been separated, and the person develops two entirely different personalities. So uh, there are all sorts of experiments and evidence that point to us being more than we appear. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's 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 definitely true. And and I you know, it's it's such a it's so easy to grossly oversimplify it, but you know, the, the human experience is very vast and complicated. <laughs> so I think we're we're kinda coming down to the wire here, gents. Um we could attempt to take another question. Um we have about two left on the list here. Well, this isn't really a question. I guess I can I can, I can bring it up, and this is from Indrid Cold, the uh, username Indrid Cold, uh, which I believe is from YouTube. It's a YouTube comment. You um, never know. Ex- hey, pff, coming out of the woodwork to comment on our YouTube channel. Um, 
And they write, uh, I highly recommend a National UFO Reporting Center on YouTube. No ads, nope. too. Uh, real phone calls from witnesses, police, uh, pilots, radar operators, uh, to the average shows. Hours and hours of calls. Uh, the gentleman that uh, ran the call center, Bob Gibble, uh, manned the phone 24-7 with the help of his wife and other staff members. And Highly recommended. Which I, I've never actually seen. Rick, have you seen it? Oh, Norfolk? Uh, which one? The National UFO Reporting Center? I use it all the yeah. time. Oh, I yeah. Use it all the time. I meant the oh, YouTube yeah. version um, of it. Have you have you ever listened to any of those? Um, I've occasionally listened, but what I use, I mean, what I use the Norfolk for, along with MUFON's database, is to, uh, uh, for my, when I, when I get a case, uh, wherever it comes from, I go to those two databases first to see if there's any, if it's been reported or something similar has been reported to it. Um, uh, Norfolk is great. It is a labor of love. It's not as detailed as like MUFON's the database. In fact, I don't think anything's as detailed as MUFON's database. No. Um, I mean, it's amazing. But it's a great source because if I get something here, I can check Norfolk for the date uh, and some particulars. And uh, it could be happening over, a similar instance could have happened in Okinawa or it could have happened uh, down the road in Southern Cal. And it helps me build <coughs> uh, sort of a, a plan for what's going on. And in one particular instance, I had a MUFON case of a, of a craft. I had a new fork case of the, of the same, what appeared to me to be the same craft, to be about 90 miles north. And then another new fork and MUFON report of the craft then to be um, uh, southeast in the same sort of appropriate timeline. <coughs> so <coughs> new fork is great big fan of it um i know it's hard to manage uh, um, and it, it but you don't get the particulars out of it so if you do want more on a case from new fork you're going to have to call and try to network to get more information if it's if it's really important but a big fan of it um i don't know that it's appropriate for when we're it's helped to be supportive of cases but having conversations about it uh, of those cases that uh, can be limited because it's just limited information um, the YouTube stuff's pretty good. It is. They do have some. They have some great articles. I'm, I'm a fan of them. Neat. Yeah, I agree. Well, on that note, I believe it's time for our announcements, gentlemen. And so we will begin with the uh, 2023 Western Connecticut UFO Conference that's uh, presented by the Danbury Library. Uh, will take place virtually and in person from October 22nd to the 29th. Events will begin on this show on October 22nd uh, with a very special guest, uh, Reverend Michael Carter of Ancient Aliens, and live audience interaction and more information to come on that. And the Greater New England UFO Bigfoot Conference, uh, UFO slash Bigfoot Conference, I should be specific, is back. Uh, this will be a one-day event on November 19th at the Veterans Memorial Center uh, in Lemonster, Massachusetts. Watch for more information on that. Okay. Visit our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find nearly 1,200 hours of regular shows and special broadcasts <clears throat> since 2008 from CBS Radio, Achieve Radio, and here on Woon AM and FM. <clears throat> also hear many of the broadcasts on major par- uh, podcast platforms, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. You can download our show app. It's free from BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can browse our books along with those of our guest co-hosts. There's plenty of things on our charity page as well. So I guess we'll hop to what's going on next week, which is September 17th. We'll take a trip into remote viewing with MUFON's Christopher Harmon. 
We leave you today with the thought from American author Frank Herbert. The beginning of knowledge is the discovery of something we do not understand. I'm Rick Eno. I'm Paul Eno. I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal.